Great to see a Purpose Church and happy Super Bowl Sunday. Uh, today we continue a Purpose Church tradition with a verses ripped out of their context for each of the teams in the Super Bowl. Now we usually uh, frown on this. Pastor Eric and I even preached a sermon series against uh, taking verses out of context uh, back in the fall. But we make an exception on Super Bowl Sunday. So let me ask you, right where you are, there in your living room, getting ready for the big game, or on your computer, wherever you might be, how many of you are rooting for the Kansas City Chiefs? Let me hear it. Uh, raise your hands. Okay, here's, here's your verse. First Chronicles 11, verse 10. These were the chiefs of David's mighty warriors. They, together with all Israel, gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land. So there's your verse uh, if you're a Chiefs fan. How many of you are rooting for the Philadelphia Eagles? The Philadelphia Eagles. Well, here is your verse. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles. They will run and not grow weary. They will walk and not be faint. Now, how many of you couldn't care less who wins the Super Bowl uh, this afternoon. Well, I've got a verse for you. It's 1 Timothy 4, verse 8. For physical training is of some value, but godliness has value for all things, holding promise for both the present life and the life to come. Now, let me add a footnote to this since uh, February is Black History Month. Today's two starting quarterbacks are Jalen Hurts and Patrick Mahomes. Jalen Hurts, Patrick Mahomes. This is the first time in Super Bowl history that the two starting quarterbacks are both black. So it's kind of cool that that happened on Black History Month. This is the first time in Super Bowl history that both starting quarterbacks uh, are, are both black. Now it gets even better. Here's the testimony uh, for each player. Jalen Hurts, I keep God at the center of everything. I give him all the praise. I lean on him all the time. And I know that everything unfolds the way it's supposed to. He who kneels before God can stand before any man. My favorite Bible verse is John 13, verse 7. You may not know now, but later you will understand. That's some good stuff, isn't it? And then Patrick uh, Mahomes. He said, faith is huge for me. Before every game, I walk the field and I do a prayer at the goalpost. I just thank God for letting me be on a stage where I can glorify him. The biggest thing that I pray for is that whatever happens, win or lose, success or failure, that I'm glorifying, that I am glorifying him. So a couple of great testimonies there from a couple of great quarterbacks facing off against each other in today's Super Bowl. Now, just a couple of housekeeping items before we get into our study. Uh, first of all, I want to mention that we have a congregational meeting on Sunday afternoon, February 26th at 3.30 in the afternoon uh, to appro approve the updates of our 2003 Constitution. We haven't done this for two decades, for 20 years. Uh, over the past six months, our Board of Trustees have invested about 200 hours on this, uh, we, and we have between five and six hours of congregational meetings uh, so I really hope that you can help us finish up the job for the next, hopefully, 20 years. And then uh, a second encouragement I, I, I want to do, a little bit of a challenge. 
Uh, our in-person attendance here at Purpose Church, our in-person attendance is now up 44% over a year ago. 44% more in-person attendance than a year ago. Uh, so we really need more volunteers in our guest services uh, to serve more and more people. We've got more and more people, so we need more and more guest services volunteers as we continue to grow. So if you just go to online to purposechurch.com slash serve, or if you want to get in uh, the next Design to Serve experience, that's going to happen uh, 10 o'clock on February 26th. But again, you don't need to go to that to just go to purposechurch.com slash serve and uh, sign up, and we would love to have you help us with that need uh, of welcoming people uh, that are seeking out Jesus and seeking out a church. Uh, you can be the first friendly face uh, that they see. And then a third item I want to mention is that Dorothy Cole, Dottie Cole, the beloved pastor's wife of Dr. Ted Cole, uh, they pastored our church, the two of them, for 28 years. Well, uh, pastor, Dr. Ted is already with the Lord, but uh, Dorothy went home to be with the Lord this past uh, Tuesday. She was 98 years old. Now today we're continuing our 2023 series in which we cover the 66 books of the Bible in 52 weeks. That means that some weeks, like today, we're going to need to cover uh, two books uh, at a time. And so the title of our series is Jesus on Every Page. And we're looking for Jesus in every book of the Bible, but we're also looking for ourselves in every book of the Bible. How does each book apply to your life? Now the title of the section that we're currently in, which is the historical books of the Old Testament, is called No Perfect People Allowed. Uh, last Sunday, Pastor Mark Johnson uh, started off in this uh, new section, did just a phenomenal job uh, with the book of Joshua. And so I really want to encourage you to go online and watch that if you didn't catch that last uh, Sunday. And the title for today's study is Judges, uh, Jesus, our righteous ruler, and Ruth, Jesus, our guardian redeemer. Uh, let's look at the background for the book of Judges. It takes one hour and 41 minutes to read the book of Judges. Uh, with regard to content, the cyclical uh, narrative of the time of the Judges, that is there's a cycle, I'm going to show you a chart for that in just a moment, with emphasis on Israel's repeated lack of covenant uh, loyalty. And then the historical coverage is from the death of Joshua uh, to the beginning of the monarchy. That is, to when they had kings like Saul, David, and, and Solomon. So from the death of Joshua to the beginning of monarchy uh, period when they had uh, kings in Israel. The emphasis is the tenuous results of the conquest. That is, when they went in to conquer the land, they didn't conquer all uh, of the land. And, and they just had half-hearted results in conquering the promised land. God's constant rescue of his people despite their habitual failure, failure to keep covenant with him. Uh, the desperate conditions and overall downward spiral during this period and the need for a good, for good king. Now this talking about the, the downward spiral where things kind of get worse and worse. Here's a, a chart that will help you with that. Uh, five S's. They would start out by sinning against God, which would lead to servitude. They would get enslaved to these other nations. 
which would lead to supplication. Finally, they'd humble themselves and cry out to God for help. God would send them salvation in the form of a judge. Now, by judge, uh, we don't mean like we think of a judge in a courtroom. A judge was really a term for kind of a military governor. So in the sense that Moses and Joshua, they were kind of uh, like presidents in the United States. Um, the judges were more like governors over a particular state, over a particular tribe like Judah or Manasseh or Ephraim, and they were military governors uh, over them. So they would be called judges, and God would send a judge uh, to a particular tribe to be their salvation, to get them out of this situation, to, th uh, to attack uh, their enemies and, and to get them out of servitude. And then there'd be a period of silence. There'd be a, a time of peace for as long as the judge lived. Then when the judge would die, uh, they'd go back to sin, servitude, supplication, salvation, and silence. And it continues to spiral, and things tend to get worse and worse. Each generation tends to get a little bit worse than the previous generation. So as we get into the historical books of the Old Testament, you're going to encounter some disturbing warfare. And so online, we have a message that Pastor Eric uh, preached uh, called Violence in the Old Testament. And um, I would encourage you, if you didn't get to see that uh, a couple of months ago back at the end of November, uh, you might want to watch this sermon that's available on demand online here at Purpose Church uh, if you missed that sermon. And it'll help to go deeper into helping to put in context an explanation uh, for the violence that we encounter in the book, uh, in the Old Testament, particularly, we're going to see it in the book of Judges. Uh, by the way, I just have to mention this about Pastor Eric. Um, last weekend, he was preaching at Hume's, uh, Hume Lake's uh, winter camp to 300 high schoolers, and 49 of them made decisions for Christ. So he got a chance to preach all weekend to 300 high schoolers, and by the end of the weekend, 49 of them had made decisions for Christ. Now let's look at background for the book of, of, of Ruth, the background for the book of Ruth. It takes 14 minutes to read the book of Ruth. Uh, that's just a nice sitting, uh, maybe on Tuesday, on Valentine's Day. It's a great love story. So maybe uh, take 14 minutes to read the book of Ruth. The content is it's a story of loyalty to God during the period of the judges. So judges is all about people disobeying God and failing God. And in the midst of that chaos, here is a story of loyalty to God during the period of the judges in which Naomi's uh, fortune, some people have even said that it should be called the book of Naomi rather than the book of Ruth, uh, in which Naomi's fortunes mirror Israel's during uh, this particular time period while also providing the lineage uh, for uh, King, King David. And then the historical coverage is a few years around 1100 B.C. The emphasis is life in a village that remains loyal to God. In the midst of all the disloyalty to God that happens in the book of Judges, in the midst of that time period, there's one village, there's one group of people that follow God regardless of the culture around them, of what's going on. Life in a village that remains loyal to God during the time of the Judges. The welcoming of a foreign woman under God's wings, God's superintending care that provides Israel eventually with its great king, um, Solomon. But then the great king was David, followed uh, by, by Solomon. Saul, David, then Solomon. Now, it's been said that Ruth is the diamond necklace and Judges is the dark velvet background. 
So in the midst of the, the chaotic background of the book of Judges, in the middle of that is this diamond necklace, the, the book of Ruth, that shows that some people are faithful, even when so many were not faithful to God. There's one group of people that remain faithful to him. Ruth is the diamond necklace, and Judges is the dark velvet background. Now here's the question we're going to spend the remainder of our time asking. Are you a Judges Christian or a Ruth Christian? Whenever I say that phrase now, uh, Ruth Christians, I'm going to keep thinking of Ruth Chris's steakhouse, and I don't know about you, but I'm going to be hungry this entire message from now on, because Ruth, a Ruth Christian sounds like a Ruth Chris. So, but anyway, are you a Judges Christian or a Ruth Christian? Uh, a Judges Christian makes excuses. A Judges Christian makes excuses. Uh, here's something that you may want to take advantage of. Uh, I know that it's a late notice, but a friend of mine has two tickets for the Super Bowl in Glendale, Arizona at the State Farm Stadium on Sunday, uh, February 12th. That's today. They are box seats, and he paid $10,000 per ticket, which includes the ride to and from the airport, lunch, dinner, and a pass to the winner's locker room after the game. What he didn't realize when he bought them last year was that it's on the same day as his wedding. So if you're interested or know anyone who might be, he is looking for someone to take his place. The wedding is at St. Paul's Church at 3 p.m. Her name is Ashley. She's a good cook. She loves to fish and hunt and will clean your truck. She'll be the one in the white dress. <laughs> So his excuse for missing the wedding is the Super Bowl. And a judge's Christian is one who makes excuses. A judge's 1 verse 19. The Lord was with the men of Judah. They took possession of the hill country. But they were unable to drive the people from the plains. Here's excuse number one. Because they had chariots fitted with iron. They said, God, we can't do it. Because the people there had chariots fitted with iron. Uh, the first nation to develop a new weapon will win all of their battles until all the other nations uh, catch up with their technology. Until the other nations catch up, uh, whoever develops the weapon for the first time will usually dominate until the others catch up. Uh, for example, ancient China was the first one to invent crossbows. Not just ordinary bow and arrows, but crossbows. And so they dominated until the nations around them developed a crossbow technology. Uh, nuclear weapons. The United States is the first that had nuclear weapons. And so uh, we dominated until now other nations have nuclear weapons as well. And the Philistines were the first in their region to develop iron uh, chariots. Uh, chariots fitted with iron. And so the Israelites, their excuse to God was, God, we can't conquer it because the Philistines have iron uh, chariots. And maybe we do the same thing with regard to new technology. God, uh, I know I let social media do dominate our, our lives. Uh, we let uh, social media uh, dominate our attention. Uh, I spend way too much time uh, looking at my phone uh, well, Lord, it, it was the new technology that was really tempting. I just uh, can't have your priorities in my life because this new technology is just 
too difficult to deal with. Just like the Israelites saying, God, we can't, tear, we can't conquer that promised land that you've called on us to conquer because the territory uh, the, the, is guarded by the Philistines and their technology that they have with these iron chariots is just too difficult. We can't do it. Or down in verse 27, but Manasseh did not drive out the people of Bethshan or Tanak or Dor or Ibleam or Megiddo and their surrounding settlements for the Canaanites were determined to live in that land. Let's hold it there for just a moment if we could go back to that verse. God, I, I can't conquer that area of life. The Israelites said we can't do it because the Canaanites are determined. We can't overcome them because they're determined. And maybe we have a temptation or an addiction or habitual sin that is really determined. Boy, I know in my life, certain temptations, they're really determined. And so, God, I can't do it because it's hard. It's determined like these Canaanites. Or the third excuse is found in verse uh, 28. In verse 28, when Israel became strong, they pressed the Canaanites into forced labor, but they never drove them out. They never drove them out completely. And so we can manage sin. We try to hold sin under some kind of control, but we never completely eliminate that thing in our life that we know is displeasing to God. We kind of manage it like they drove them into forced labor, but they never drove them out completely. Now, when you think of the Israelites, and this gets into a little bit of violence in the Old Testament, when you, when you think of the Canaanites, the Israelites uh, taking the promised land from the Canaanites, don't think Switzerland, uh, think of the Nazis, okay? Don't, don't think, think Nazi Germany, don't think Switzerland, don't think a group of really great, nice people that the Israelites are just coming in and taking their land. But think of the Nazis but 10 times as bad. I mean, the Canaanites would sacrifice babies and children uh, to their gods. They were fully involved in the occult. Injustice was rampant, and God had been patient with them for generation after generation, giving them a chance to repent. Uh, but once uh, Israel came, they, they needed to be dealt with. Judgment came in the, uh, in the form of the Israeli army, um, led by God to bring judgment on the Canaanites. Their influence, the Canaanites' influence, needed to be defeated, completely defeated and removed, or it would come back to reinfect uh, the, the nation of Israel. Here is God's assessment, because they did not completely take the land, because they did not um, completely eliminate and deal with uh, the uh, defeat of uh, the Canaanites. He says in Judges chapter 2, uh, verse, verse 1, it says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochum and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give to your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you. I'm going to be faithful to you. And you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land. Uh, but you shall break down their altars to these demonic, occultic gods involving child sacrifice. Break down their altars, yet you have disobeyed me. Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They, they will become traps for you because you've not been faithful to me. I'm not going to do it for you. 
You were supposed to do it with my help. You haven't done it. I'm not going to do it for you. They will become traps for you uh, if you allow them uh, to stay there. Think, think in terms of, imagine if the defeat of the Nazis was not complete. If people said, well, let's, let's accommodate them. Let's, let's kind of just coexist uh, with Nazi Germany. Uh, eventually, they would reinfect the others. And that's what God said would happen to the nation of Israel. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares for you. So God asked them the question, why didn't you drive out the Canaanites? And God is asking you and me uh, with regard to those elements of the Canaanites that we've remained to, allowed to remain in our lives. God is asking Israel here, he's asking us, you can't do it or you won't do it. You make all these excuses. Uh, you're making these excuses. You, you can't do it or you're choosing not to do it. Can't do it or you won't do it. These pockets of Canaanites are like pockets of disobedience that we leave in our lives that become, they become traps and they become snares to us. Uh, a judge's Christian, secondly, has amnesia, which leads to apostasy. That is, we forget how God has worked in our life. We forget to be grateful. We forget the, the acts of power that God has done in our lives. We have amnesia. We forget what God has done for us, and it leads to apostasy or to disobedience. Uh, verse 7, the people serve the Lord throughout the lifetimes of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for them. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnath Harry's in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, that is, they had died, they had passed from the scene, another generation grew up, who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. So they had amnesia. They had forgotten what God had done or they had never seen God personally do those things uh, like the crossing of the Red Sea and manna from heaven, uh, water from a rock, crossing uh, the Jordan River and Jericho to name just a few. In one generation, they go from being a generation that knocked down the walls of Jericho to one who doesn't know God at all. That's just how fast it can happen. We're always just one generation away from losing the gospel if we don't pass the gospel on to the next generation. That's why we need to make that a priority. Uh, we need to pass the gospel uh, to children, to, to youth, to young adults, because we are always just one generation away from failing to do so, like what happened here in the nation of Israel. And then thirdly, a judge's Christian uh, allows small areas of disbelief to produce large areas of disaster. Verse 12, they forsook the Lord, the God of their ancestors, who had brought them out of Egypt. They followed and worshiped various gods of the people around them, they aroused the Lord's anger because they forsook him and served Baal and the Ashtoreths. In his anger against Israel, 
the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders. Now, you Raiders fans, I just showed you where the Chiefs and the Eagles are in the Bible. Well, the Raiders are there as well. Now, it's not a very favorable thing going on here. Raiders who plundered them. But something tells me that you Raiders fans would like that description of you. He sold them into the hands of their enemies all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. Then the Lord raised up judges who saved them out of the hands of these raiders. Yet they would not listen to their judges, but prostituted themselves to other gods and worshiped them. They quickly turned from the ways of their ancestors who had been obedient to the Lord's uh, commands. And so again, we see that whole thing that goes on. They sin, and then it leads to servitude, um, which leads to, um, uh, to enslavement, to slavery, which then leads to them crying out to God, and God uh, saves them, salvation through the various judges that God raised up. And then there's a period of silence and, and, and quiet during the lifetime of that judge. But then when that judge dies, they go back to that cycle of sin um, once, uh, that sin uh, once again. Uh, again and again, we see the cycle just go on and on. And then verse 18, verse 18. Whenever the Lord raised up a judge for them, he was with the judge and saved them out of the hands of their enemies as long as the judge lived. For the Lord relented because of their groaning under those who oppressed and afflicted them. But when the judge died, the people returned to ways even more corrupt than those of their ancestors. That's where you see the downward spiral. Following other gods and serving and worshiping them, they refused to give up their evil practices and their stubborn ways. Now, uh, we come to a great love story uh, for Valentine's Day week. So we, we move away from the disobedience of judges to within that chaos, within that uh, terrible time period in Israel's history, there remained a group of people who were still faithful to God. And oh, Purpose Church, may we be that people in the midst of a culture that has turned its back on God. May, may we be the faithful village May we be the faithful family. May we be the faithful Christ followers who remain steadfast like Ruth, like Naomi, um, as opposed to those uh, within the book of Judges. Now we come to this great love story. A Ruth Christian is consistently committed. There's a famine in Israel, so a woman named Naomi with her husband and two sons leave where they lived in Bethlehem and Judah, and they go to Moab, where the sons marry two Moabite girls. Naomi's husband and her two sons all die in Moab over a 10-year period. So Naomi decides to go back to Bethlehem. The famine is over, so she's going to go back to Bethlehem. Now, one daughter-in-law stays in Moab, but the other daughter-in-law named Ruth insists on staying with Naomi. And now we have one of the most beautiful passages in all the Bible. But Ruth replied, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go. And where you stay, I will say, your people will be my people and your God, my God. 
Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. A Ruth Christian is consistently committed to fulfill God's purpose for your life. Uh, on Wednesday, uh, I went to give blood over at the University of Laverne, um, inspired by my mother-in-law. Uh, she's the one that gets us to take her to give blood, and so as a result, uh, we all just uh, get in the habit of giving blood as well. My mother-in-law is going to be 93 this upcoming week, 93 years old. Uh, she has given about every four weeks uh, faithfully uh, throughout her adult life. She estimates she has given about 300 to 400 pints of blood um, during her lifetime, helping thousands of people. And she's still giving at the age of, of 93. So Noah and Kimberly and I and, and, and my mother-in-law, we all uh, went to give blood. And, and I kind of like giving blood because I always feel very special when I go because I am O negative, which is the universal uh, donor. And because I'm O negative, oh my goodness, when I arrive, they roll out the red carpet, they have me sit on a throne uh, before I give blood. They don't give me the ordinary snacks like Oreos afterwards. They give me Thin Mint, uh, Girl Scout cookies. All of that is a lie. None of that is true. But they do, they do get very excited when an O negative uh, walks in. And usually I uh, give this thing called Power Red where I can give twice as many red blood cells. Uh, but I only have to go in every uh, four months rather than every two months uh, because um, uh, they, I, they, when you give double, you got to wait longer. So I kind of like it because then I can only donate three times a year uh, rather than six times a year. So I walk in. But this, this time I walk in, and I was expecting to do this whole power red. But they said, oh, no, 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 no. You're not just O negative. Has anybody ever told you that you are also CMV negative. Not only are you O negative, you are CMV negative. I said, I've never heard such a thing. And, and so they told me for the first time. They said, this is what the babies need. They will take your blood and it'll directly go to the babies in, in need. And in that moment, I was very, very glad. But I was also somewhat sad because I thought of all the times that I have been too busy to give. You can identify, can't you? Uh, donating blood is one of those things you know you should do, but you just have time, trouble getting around to have the time to do it. And that's true in my life as well. And so I felt glad, but I was also sad of thinking of all the times that I have failed the babies. But I also was inspired that now with this knowledge, I will be better uh, in, in, in the years ahead at donating blood now that I know it's the babies that need my particular um, type of blood. And I think it's going to be just like that when we get to heaven. We will be glad to the degree that we fulfilled consistently God's purpose and plan for our lives. We'll be glad, but I think I'm also going to be sad thinking of all the ways that I did not obey God and that I did not fulfill his purpose and his plan uh, for my life. But to the degree that you understand that you are special, you, you're one of a kind, you are one in eight billion. In the same way I found out I'm not only O negative, but I'm also CMV 
negative as well, and that somehow that was a special assignment. Well, each of us have a special assignment from God, and a, a, a unique thing, and when we get to heaven, we're going to be glad we fulfilled it, but sad that we didn't do more to fulfill it. And, uh, and so let's be inspired to be a Ruth Christian who consistently committed to fulfilling God's purpose uh, for her life, and we should do it for our lives. A Ruth Christian promotes justice. Uh, Ruth appeals to a man named Boaz for justice, protection, and provision for her needs. And so Boaz becomes her kinsman redeemer or guardian redeemer. And this is a picture of how Jesus redeems us. Uh, a guardian redeemer means to act on behalf of a relative who is in trouble, danger, or need. And that's what Jesus did for us. He acted on behalf of his friends, of his family members, his brothers and sisters who were in trouble, danger, and in need. And we see here a picture from 1100 B.C. of what Christ would come and do for us as our Redeemer. Uh, Ruth 4, uh, starting in verse 1. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian Redeemer he had mentioned came along. Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took ten of the elders of the town and said, sit here, and they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it in the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know. For no one has the right to do it except you, and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, on the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this the guardian redeemer said, then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. He didn't want to do it because it might uh, hinder his financial well-being. And, and so he didn't want to do justice because it took him out of his comfort zone. It would mean a sacrifice on, on his part. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself, and he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malon. I have also acquired Ruth, the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown Today you are my witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. They, they had no idea when they said that how much that was going to be fulfilled, how that prophecy, that blessing was going to come true. 
through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. Uh, And so, finally, a Ruth Christian points to Jesus. The book of Ruth ends with this genealogy. Ruth 4, verse 21. Salmon, the father of Boaz, Boaz, the father of Obed, Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of David. Matthew gives us more detail in chapter 1, verse 5. Salmon, the father of Boaz, whose mother was Rahab in the book of uh, Joshua that we studied last Sunday. Boaz, the father of Obed, whose mother was Ruth. Obed, the father of Jesse, and Jesse, the father of King David, skipping down to verse 16. And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary. And Mary was the mother of Jesus, who is called the Messiah. Let's pray together. Lord, help us not to be judges, Christians, making excuses, having amnesia, forgetting the goodness of God, forgetting the past acts of God in our lives, the past power of God, what he has done in and for us, having amnesia. Uh, Keep us from tolerating little areas of disobedience which can lead to large areas of disaster. Oh Lord, help us to be Ruth Christians, consistently committed, promoting justice, and pointing others to Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray, and wherever you are, if you agree with that prayer, would you say out loud with me, wherever you are, together, amen and amen.